looking back, I wonder how many times we have heard that expression or used that expression as we begin a sentence with those words. Looking back, I can now see, etc. Looking back on such and such. Looking back on this or on that. Is that a positive thing or a negative thing? It's both. Looking back is both positive and negative. We can see that in Scripture. And that's what we wish to think about for a few minutes this morning. As we think about the Apostle Paul and what he wrote to the young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 11 and reading through verse 17, where he wrote, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. These words of the Apostle Paul written to Timothy suggest that looking back, can be a very positive thing. All we know that we have examples in Scripture where looking back is anything but positive. And I'm sure the first example of that that comes to your mind would be Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife and Lot's family as they were admonished to leave Sodom before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah were told not to look back. And yet Genesis 19.26 informs us that Lot's wife looked back turned into a pillar of salt. But what kind of looking back was that? It obviously was not a looking back in a positive way, but regardless of what motivated it, the command had been clear not to do it. Don't even look back. Put that city and put all of that worldliness behind you and move forward and don't even look back. Did she look back longingly, maybe remembering with fondness, some things that she should not have thought about fondly? We're not specifically told. But we are told to remember Lot's wife. And not to engage in looking back in ways that would take us back, either in mind or in body, to something that God wants us to separate ourselves from. And, of course, that would be the world. There's another example of looking back in Luke chapter 9, in verse 62 specifically there, where the Lord himself uttered these words, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now the context there clearly shows, as some had encountered him and said, 
we want to follow you. And then they said, well, let us do certain things before we make that commitment. And Jesus summarized the teaching here with no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of, of God. In other words, once we have committed to serve God, then nothing should hinder us. Nothing should cause us to falter in our service. And if looking back upon things that we need to separate ourselves from would do that, then certainly we need to avoid that. And so very clearly we have examples of the danger of looking back in the wrong way, both with Lot's wife and with the example that Jesus gave us in his teaching in Luke 9, 62. But in the verses we have read from 1 Timothy 1, that's a different situation. That's a looking back that we need to look at very carefully and emulate, really. Paul's example. In gaining the things that Paul gained from looking back on his former situation. Do you think that the looking back that Paul engaged in that we have just read from 1 Timothy 1 was a looking back that stifled his present effort for the Lord or stimulated his present effort for the Lord? The latter is obviously the case. It was a looking back that didn't stifle his efforts presently, but actually stimulated his efforts to press on toward the goal. Now I realize with that in mind that there's another passage from the same apostle's pen, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, where he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have laid hold, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the upward call of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. So there were some things that Paul said we need to forget. And of course, that would certainly include any past successes in our Christian lives that might cause us to rest on our laurels, any achievements, any attainments, etc. But obviously, Paul did not think that looking back on everything was negative. There were some things to which we could look as we look back that would be very, very positive. What are those? Well, as we review these verses, we see that the Apostle Paul's looking back actually stimulated his zeal. In verses 11 and 12, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. As he reflected upon his conversion, as he reflected upon his call to become an apostle after his conversion, that only stimulated his zeal because he recognized the important call that he had answered in answering the call of the gospel to become a Christian and answering the call thereafter to become an apostle of Jesus Christ, to be privileged and blessed to preach what he calls here the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Looking back reminded him of a commitment that God had made through Christ to him, committing to his trust, committing to his trust the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And because of the preciousness of that trust and the realization of how precious and glorious the gospel is because it brings glory to the God of heaven, it enables man who obeys that gospel to glorify God with his lips and with his lives forevermore until time is no more. Paul understood the preciousness of that trust and it stimulated a greater zeal to carry out the ministry into which he had been placed by the mercy and grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Although, he said, verse 12, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Those three terms are increasingly malicious terms. A blasphemer who did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Oh, he was faithful to God as he viewed his faithfulness to God. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He believed with all of his heart that he was serving God as he persecuted Christ. He was a persecutor, a blasphemer as he spoke against the Christ. That's literally the idea of blaspheming. He spoke against the Christ. doesn't mean that he cursed and used that kind of language in blaspheming but he simply spoke against. That's the term blaspheme, to speak against. And in this case, he believed he was following deity's directive when he spoke against deity. A tragic irony in Paul's life, demonstrating how entirely possible it is for us to be so sincerely wrong that we would believe we're doing God's work when in fact we're doing the work of the devil. And that's what Paul was doing a blasphemer, a persecutor. Oh yes, asking letters from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus to bring those who were of the faith and to consent to their deaths. And you remember it was Saul of Tarsus who became the apostle Paul who held the garments of those who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was a persecutor and the idea of an insolent man means he did it with great maliciousness in terms of of the attitude with which he did it. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. The Apostle Paul, as he looked back on what he was and yet what he now has been entrusted to do, that's very positive in terms of the kind of zeal that it will stimulate. But what about us? Well, you say, well, I never persecuted Christians before I became a Christian. Well, not in the same sense that Paul did, hopefully, of course. But why should we be any less zealous for what we now are blessed to possess, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ through the glorious gospel of the blessed God? Why should we be any less zealous as we reflect upon how hopelessly lost we were before we obeyed the gospel of Christ. And should our zeal be any less if we're looking back and reflecting as Paul did upon where we once were versus where we are blessed to be now? And isn't that something we should do pretty regularly? Is that not a kind of looking back that actually benefits the present? Of course it is. We should never lose sight of where we were and where we are now. And to allow that complete transformation to produce within us the kind of zeal 
that it stimulated in the Apostle Paul. Is it possible to have that kind of zeal even though you're not in Christ Jesus? Yes, oh, we can talk about any number of people in the religious world who maybe put God's people many times to shame in terms of this question of zeal. They'll go door to door and they'll sacrifice in hot weather and you'll see them on bicycles and you'll see them doing their two years of, of duty and they'll do it with great zeal. And yet, tragically, their zeal is not according to knowledge. As Paul once wrote about his brethren in the flesh, his fellow Israelites, when he said, Brethren, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. But they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Surely we can think of any number of people who have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. But what about those who have been blessed to obey the glorious gospel of the blessed God? What about our zeal? Should it not be stimulated fully as we look back on where we were and yet where we're blessed to be? And as we think about all those who have all that zeal and yet they have not obeyed the truth and they're zealous for that kind of error? And who knows how difficult it may be, if not impossible, to ultimately get them out of it because they are so solidly entrenched and so firmly deceived and so zealous for doing that which they believe to be right that they may never be reached. We need to try. But we've been reached. We've been reached if we're Christians this morning. Thanks be to God, we've been reached by the glorious gospel. Where's our zeal? Where is our zeal to take that gospel to a lost and dying world? And along the same lines, verse 12 should also and did intensify Paul's gratitude. The gratitude for the God of heaven, for his grace, for his grace and for his gospel that made possible that change. But I obtained mercy, he said. And what about us? We all need that mercy, and we have obtained that mercy if we're Christians this morning by being privileged to come to a knowledge of the truth. How intense should our gratitude be, and how should that gratitude be manifested? zealously, joyfully. And what that says to us is, I shouldn't only be showing up when the doors are open. I need to be showing up and building up my brothers and my sisters and others. There's a certain amount of building up you can do by showing up. That helps. But don't just show up, show up with a kind of attitude that builds up and make a conscious effort to build up because you have been blessed to be where you are. And that should intensify gratitude and stimulate zeal as it did with the Apostle Paul. But there's something else that looking back, as Paul looked back, will do, and that is it'll preserve, it'll preserve your poverty of spirit. It'll preserve your humility, in other words. 
when we look back, as Paul looked back, and realize where we were and yet where we're privileged to be now, that'll keep you humble. Or at least it should, shouldn't it? You look at verses 13 through 15 again. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And then he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, listen to it, of whom I am chief. There's that poverty of spirit. There's that genuine humility that Paul, by looking back, would always be appreciative, uh, would always maintain that humility because of what he had done and where he had been and how he had been, as he viewed it, the chief of sinners. Yes, I did it ignorantly in unbelief, but I did it. And I was a sinner even though I was doing it ignorantly and was sincere, which obviously tells us that sincerity alone is not sufficient and that I can be just as much a sinner if not a chief a sinner, as Paul called himself, even though I believe what I'm doing, I'm doing for God. That's Paul's situation. But Paul said, I'll never forget who I was and what I did. Now, did he remember it in a way to cause him grief and sadness and sorrow and to bring him down and to depress him in his present service? Of course not, just the opposite. It just simply kept him humble. It did not allow him to become self-righteous. It did not allow him to look at what he was doing or had done for the Lord and say, look what I've done. It did not allow him to five years before his death or even five minutes before his death say, well, I've done enough now. I'm just going to coast. Either until somebody kills me or the Lord comes again or I die a natural death, but I believe I've done enough. No. Listen to Acts 20 and verse 24. As he spoke there to those Ephesian elders and reminded them that he had been reminded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that chains and tribulations awaited him as he continued his work for the Lord. But what did he say about that? He said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I'll do it with my dying breath. With my dying breath, I'll testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Why? Because I am so grateful, so zealous, so humbled by the fact that God would give me an opportunity to hear and obey the truth and to serve him for the remainder of my life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul accomplished so much in his life as a Christian, as an apostle of the Lord. He suffered so much. And yet he remained genuinely humbled as he looked back and realized 
how blessed he was based on where he was headed before the Lord turned his life around and gave him an opportunity to obey the truth and become his servant. But also in verse 16, we see that Paul's looking back also inspired hope, as it should for us as well. In verse 16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering, listen to this, as a pattern, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. As a pattern. Paul, Paul is a pattern of pardon from the Lord. Think about that. Paul said, I'm a pattern of pardon. I'm a pattern that ought to inspire hope in everyone, as you think about where I was and what I was doing, and that I was the chief of sinners less than the least of, of all the saints, as in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I'm a pattern of pardon that ought to inspire hope in anyone because what it says is if God if God could show mercy to me and give me an opportunity to obey the gospel and if I could be forgiven given everything I was doing to persecute the cause of Christ then you can be forgiven of anything and you can be forgiven of everything and knowing that you can be forgiven and seeing me as an example of the kind of forgiveness that God is willing to extend and the mercy that he's willing to show to you if you'll turn to him in faith and love, as he refers to faith and love as his part of responding to God's grace. If you'll do that, then you can have the same kind of zeal, the same kind of gratitude, the same kind of genuine humility, and the hope that can be given to the rankest, vilest sinner who will turn genuinely and obediently to the Lord in obedience to the gospel. Paul says, if he can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. That's the message here in verse 16. If he can forgive me, he can forgive you. But you know something else? That would be, a, that would be, that would be very encouraging to Timothy, too, as he wrote this letter to him. Timothy had to deal, as did Paul and so many others, with all these Judaizing teachers who were so zealous for the law of Moses and who were trying to bind certain parts of the law of Moses upon these Gentile Christians especially. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. And they were very, very solid in their opposition to the gospel. Any hope for them, Timothy? Paul, in effect, said, Timothy, there's hope for them. Remember me? Remember how zealous I was for the law? Remember how I persecuted Christians? Don't you give up on these Judaizing teachers. You do all you can because there may be some of them out there who are like I was, and they can be reached. And what that says to us today is that we live in a world that I readily admit is increasingly more difficult, I believe, to reach with the gospel than perhaps this world was 20, 30, 40 years ago or beyond that. But, 
but we should not give up our efforts and we should understand and appreciate that there may be some Saul of Tarsuses out there who right now seem to be firmly entrenched in the error that they have embraced but we still need to make every effort to reach them and who knows circumstances are right and their heart can be made right they may as Saul of Tarsus turn from their sins as he did but what this does say is that I don't care what you're involved in in terms of sin and how horrible it may be if you're willing to stop it repent of it believe in Christ confess him and obey the gospel of Christ you can look back you can look back as Paul did and let that backward look propel you forward and stimulate your zeal and intensify your gratitude and preserve your poverty of spirit and inspire great hope of eternal life and finally you can also let it as Paul's looking back did stir your heart to produce the kind of outburst of praise that we read about in verse 17 listen to it again now to the king eternal immortal invisible to God who alone is wise be honor and glory forever and ever amen it's as though Paul as he reflected as he wrote these words to Timothy and reflected on his past life and looked back he reached a point where he could not he could not contain and so he uttered by inspiration this doxology if you will to this section when he said now to the king eternal immortal invisible to God alone the only God the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever amen why because he put a rank vile chief of sinners into the ministry and in our case because he has put us into his kingdom the church through our obedience to the blessed and glorious gospel of God and Jesus Christ and so looking back as we've looked at Paul's backward look is a looking back all of us need to do on more than an occasional basis and allow it as we reflect on where we were and where we're blessed to be now to strengthen us to increase our zeal, to intensify our gratitude, to stir our hearts and lift them and elevate them to greater service in the kingdom and a greater determination to encourage and build up one another in the most holy faith. Are you in that faith? Have you responded to the grace of God about which Paul wrote so fluently and so eloquently? because he was so grateful for receiving it have you responded as he did with faith and love as he mentions in this very text you see the grace of God alone is not going to save you but the grace of God if you'll respond to it in faith motivated by love with obedient faith it can and will save you and I don't care where you are or what you've done because Paul says remember me I'm a pattern
I'm a pattern of pardon. And you can be forgiven. But you're going to have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and then be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And then rise in gratitude for the forgiveness that has been obtained through the blood of Jesus Christ. And with a zeal for God that is according to knowledge. As you're blessed, as you're blessed to live before others and to tell others of the glorious gospel of the blessed God. If you need to respond to that gospel this morning, we plead with you to do so. If you've responded to it in times past, but your zeal has waned, your gratitude has weakened, your poverty of spirit is not where it was, the hope has been lost, your heart needs to be stirred, let the gospel do it and let it lead you home in repentance and confession of sin that needs to be confessed publicly as we stand to sing to encourage you.